the first time you're exposed to two wheels is like a big deal. And it happened for me. I remember, I remember my bicycle that I was given and it's a little three speed Vista. It was metal flake gold. It was kind of the era of like the sort of the chopper bicycles and, um, had a sissy bar on it, nape hangers and a banana seat, that whole thing. And, and, uh, I just remember I wasn't quite big enough to ride it. And I remember just kind of staring at it for a few months before I got the guts to kind of like, you know, to actually try to throw a leg over it and ride it. And, and then that moment that you do, you just realize that you're, you know, sort of the, your world as you knew it probably consisted of the, you know, a, a one block radius from my house at that age. And then all of a sudden having this thing that could, you know, you could go, you could go to the next city in a couple hours or an hour. You know, that was like, that was just a mind blower to me that you could be transported like this. All right, I'm Brad Richards and I'm the vice president of styling and design at Harley Davidson. I was born and raised in, um, in Detroit, Michigan and uh, actually born um, in Dearborn, just literally about two blocks down from the from Ford Motor Company. My, my parents were both school teachers. They were in education and they came up from the South to take advantage of some of the jobs that were available uh, in and around Detroit uh, due to all the manufacturing that was going on at that time. And um, so we settled in the, in the Dearborn area and from a pretty early age, I think I was exposed to you know vehicles, uh, obviously cars and trucks and motorcycles and things, something that uh, at least my mother and father tell me at an early age, I was always really, you know, fascinated by anything with wheels that moved. And living, kind of growing up in Dearborn, it was, uh, it was a very thrilling place to grow up if you were um, sort of uh, dialed into um, to those types of things, to those vehicles and, and just automobiles and transportation and motors and wheels in general. There was a lot of that that was going around. That led to, you know, kind of in school, um, obviously, uh, Actually, even before school, just I remember getting, you know, and, this, and some of these stories obviously are going to sound a little cliched. I'm sure a lot of people sort of had the same exact experience, folks that are interested in, the, you know, in motorcycles and the brand. But, um, you know, I can remember vividly getting my first bicycle and it was such a, you know, such like a, I mean, like to this day, I can remember it just felt like the constraints and the confines of the neighborhood had been dropped down. And all of a sudden there was a whole other world to kind of go out and explore, which I did with my friends. And we rode around a lot, and that uh, you know that eventually led to motorized like motorcycles, and and kind of getting involved with uh, um, off-road bikes and on-road bikes and mopeds and mini bikes and go karts, and that was sort of our childhood, you know. That and I would say a major healthy dose of skateboarding, which was really another sort of factor in my in my childhood that was uh, that I, I completely embraced, fell in love with with that and um did a lot of skateboarding still do to this day uh, so that's another big piece of the, of the puzzle but again i think that all kind of centers around movement and freedom and and sort of being able to chase the horizon you know wherever you're at the motorcycle thing really came because those were the first vehicles that i could that you know i was exposed to and could actually you know experience myself we i had i think we had some friends in the neighborhood that had a rutman mini bike God, I just remember it had like a had a metal flake gold frame and white wheels and the engine had a really cool decal on it. Rutman Ugly, I think it was what it was called. And he had put chrome handlebars on it, a little sissy bar, and I just thought, God, this is so cool. It's this you know, not only is does he have this great he's got he's got a motorcycle, but he's also started to customize it. And I thought that was really cool that people could 
you know, express themselves via the vehicles that they chose to um, ride on and customize. And so that really sort of unlocks something. The, the other, and, and I had paper routes, that's the other thing is the first the first time I, I had two paper routes at, at the same time, I realized that my bicycle just wasn't gonna cut it anymore in terms of time. My paper routes, uh, I work for the Detroit Free Press, and so that is it's an early morning paper, and they drop the papers off at 4 a.m., so I would try to get everything done before I went to school. I realized that, yeah, bicycle wasn't gonna cut it because I just had too much ground to cover. So I saved up and bought a, I bought a little um, moped and put some bags in the back, built like a little rack for the papers and so on. And and that enabled me to have multiple paper routes. And I realized, wow, this is really cool. It's this, uh, you know, this little, this little this kind of the wheels in the motor. Yeah, they're, they're, it's a fun thing to kind of bomb around on, on, you know, with on a weekend, but it also can, you know, can provide income and can make, it can make your life sort of a better experience uh, because you're able to do your work quicker and so on. I, I was so excited about design just in general, even beyond wheels. And I was fascinated by furniture design and, you know, these great companies in Michigan where I grew up, Herman Miller and Knoll, and Knoll's, I think, Pennsylvania, but Herman Miller was, is, uh, is certainly Michigan and Hayworth. And there were these very famous, they were the heroes, you know, the Charles and Ray Ames and Henry Batoya and some of these furniture designers. They To me, they were so punk rock because they were just... Um, they didn't follow the kind of the, they didn't follow the rules of what something should be. They really kind of reinvented it in their own mind's eyes. And they were able to figure out a way to commercialize it and make it so that everybody was able to understand it and then desired it. And I thought that was just so fascinating. And it's kind of the same thing with car designers and motorcycle designers and so on. And just design in, in general, where people see things a little bit differently and they create something that makes everyone sort of think about something differently and whether it improves your quality of life or it um, is just something that's more beautiful to look at or functions better or is, you know, showcases better technology, you, you know, people want it. And so it's, you know, and it makes people kind of reach into their, their pocketbooks and plop down their hard-earned money for it. And uh, that to me always fascinated me. There's this, you know, this desire for new, like the next thing, the next cool thing. So in college, I was, as much as I wanted to be a car designer, I was fascinated in product design. I was fascinated in furniture design. So I got, I got a little bit lost, I think, in my direction. And um, because I just wanted to be great at all of it. And, um, and that was, it was great because the school allowed me to do that, but it, it kind of, it, it, it kind of it diluted my focus. And so that um, when I graduated, before I graduated, I got a summer internship at a company. Ironically, that company that I hired in at, they, also bought another company at that same time that got in, that was dealing with automotive design and they needed someone to run their, they wanted to start an industrial design department and have, um, sort of have this be a, um, a place that, um, the, the big three could go to have like skunk work design projects happen. And also for the same thing for furniture. So it was perfect because I loved all of this stuff. So I was the first designer they hired and I hired a bunch of my friends from school and put a clay modeling team together and built a studio you know, and this is all like when I'm like 23. So I, I didn't 100% know what the heck I was doing, but I just, I had this opportunity and I just jumped on it. And um, that eventually led to um, Ford Motor Company, um, being exposed to Ford Motor Company, and they reached out and offered me a job in their design studio. And that was like, you know, I died and, died and gone to heaven because, you know, I, I, I um, never thought I would be a 
you know, be working at Ford Motor Company, this place that I was born right next to. And it was very, it was very cool at that time to work at the company. It still is like a lot of friends that work there. And, uh, so working there, I, you know, I, I started, I started working in the truck department and worked my way up fairly quickly and started to be able to lead the design process. And, um, and within that, that experience, I actually was assigned the Harley Davidson F-150s. And that is how I met Willie G and Louie and Ray Dre and Paul Martin and all these guys that were just, you know, just total heroes to me because they were the guys that were designing for Harley Davidson, the coolest you know, brand on earth. First of all, I couldn't afford a Harley. <laughs> um, and I didn't have anybody that was super close to me that was really into Harley Davidson. You know, the, a lot of my friends were into dirt bikes and it was a lot of metric dirt bikes. And, and so I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to a bike really badly, but I couldn't, I didn't quite know how to, to kind of, you know, beyond just the functional bikes that I used for my paper routes and stuff, I didn't know what to do next. And, uh, fate kind of, you know, intervened and I was, I was in a band in art school and, um, like many artists are. And, um, we had a rehearsal space that was in downtown Detroit and, uh, it was like a four, it was an old building that had four floors. And on the, I think of the third floor is where this old metal shop was. And that's where the guy that owned the metal shop allowed us to rent out a corner of it so that, you know, our drummer could leave his drums there and we could come and practice a few times a week. In the corner of that room, there was a pile of scrap and big pile of scrap, like five or six feet off the ground where he, for years, whoever had been working in this shop had just thrown bits and pieces. And, you know, one day on break from playing, sitting there while everyone's having a beer and I saw this handlebar and handle grip sticking out of the pile of junk and I started to uncover it and I realized there's a motorcycle in here. And, uh, and so over the course of a few rehearsals, I, I started digging deeper and eventually I, I found there's this old boxer BMW that was in horrible shape, but it had been basically disfigured, but it was at the bottom of the pile. And I asked the owner of the building if I could buy it. And he said, I don't even know, you know, I'm not even sure the metal shop was here when I bought the building. I don't even know who owns it and there's no title. And he basically said, if you can get it out of here, you can have it. And I said, oh, that's awesome. So we figured out how to get it out of there piece by piece. I did with another friend and I took it home. And, and then over the course of like a, maybe a year or two, um, well, I think I was just getting out of school. I started to restore it in a very crude way, but I was putting it back together and learning about it. And I finally got it running and, you know, went out for the first time. And I, I remember I, I told, I, I told my friends, my family, especially my mom, she was so freaked out about a motorcycle. I told her that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to restore it and kind of put it in my, I'll put it in my apartment just as something to look at. And one day, you know, I, I had it, it was done and I just couldn't, I had to ride it. You know, I restored the whole thing. So I just took it for a ride around the neighborhood and it started up. It was like so incredible. And, and I remember just that moment, just changing everything. I didn't, you know, I was kind of into cars at the time and other things. And that was the moment that it just became thousand percent motorcycles. I had never experienced that feeling before on any other kind of type of vehicle I'd ever tried to ride or drive in. It was just, and being at Ford, I was exposed to race cars and race trucks and like all kinds of high performance stuff and, and having some incredible experiences that any gearhead would love to have. And just riding that insanely slow, sluggish, heavy old BMW around the neighborhood was like the most thrilling thing. I'd, I felt like I was on a rocket ship heading to the moon. It was so cool. There, there are a couple that stick with me that I still say to the designers. Um, 
probably the this one really came from Gordon Plato, who is again that the, the, the chief designer. I think he now he's a director. I think he's a North American director at Ford now, but he's um, he again exposed me to the brand probably more so than anybody else. He and Willie, since they were such good friends, and they really kind of brought me along. But he used to say, "Change is good." You know, as designers, you tend to, especially as a young designer, you tend to do something and you fall in love with it, whether it's a sketch or an idea or a, a color that you chose for something. And inevitably, in a corporation, there's going to be a whole bunch of other people that are not going to align with your idea and want to change it in some way, shape, or form. And that can be very emotionally, you know, challenging for a designer to have their design messed with. And so I remember as a designer thinking that when I finished something, it was perfect and did not need to be changed. I do not need, I don't need a critique because it's perfect. And, uh, and then of course the first critique you have, it gets torn to pieces and you become very emotionally distraught about it. And Gordo always told me, change is good, you know, change is good and don't fall in love with it. Don't fall in love with it. So I think those are the two things that are probably, those are probably the most valuable things that people have told me that resonate and that I still use with my team as well, is that change is good. And at Harley Davidson, that's a bit of a challenge because a lot of our design aesthetic, a a a lot of sort of the trick, if you will, with our products is that they don't evolve, that we evolve them at a pace that, you know, technically they make, be completely new under the skin, but aesthetically they look exactly like the Harley we made, you know, 60 years ago. And that with, for some products and some customers, that's absolutely the right play, but it's not the right play for every Harley Davidson. The only thing that's kind of keeping us from seeing Harley Davidson in some of these new segments and accepting them is sort of the constraints within our own perceptions. And when you blow out, when you kind of blow out those constraints and you can do that very easily, if you're open to it by looking at the history of the company and you realize that we've done so many radical things, different things, innovative things that people forget about, that innovating like with electric and innovating with these new segments, adventure touring, and this is not unfamiliar territory for us. We've been here before in in some shape or form. You can always find some type of tangible narrative that the company has navigated that resonates exactly with the moment that we're in. And I mean this, I mean, if you are distraught about a moment that we're having with the company as an employee or as a, um, a customer, spend an hour walking through the museum and you will find 15 other products that came from moments just like the one we're having right now. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy how it's sort of all been done before. Now it's just up to us to put the right spin on it with, um, you know, whatever uh, the issues that you're working with. But just, I know there's a lot of angst out there in the world right now, just about sort of unprecedented times that we're all experiencing right now as a, not just as a company, but as a society, you know, a global society. And, um, but just thinking of, just thinking about, uh, the corporate side of things and the, and the brand specifically Harley Davidson, I mentioned this in my talk that there have been moments in our history, whether it's world wars or recessions or depressions or cultural revolutions where the company has um, really taken some hits and, and, and kind of barely scraped by and looked like things were going to get pretty dire. And, and um, in all of these events, to a t- like, you know, almost to each one, when these things happen, the company has this incredible rehabilitating, um, <laughs> this sort of sense of, uh, not sense, but this innate sort of DNA that, it helps reinvent itself during these times. And uh, I think this situation is going to be the exact same thing for Harley Davidson. 
I think that it, it is going to, the way that we get through this and the way we come out on the other side will define the company for generations. And just like it did for those that went through world wars and those that went through the cultural revolutions and those that went through the depressions and the recessions. And the company has a great way of um, just reinventing itself on the other side of these things. And these are great moments for us to pause as a company and we really begin to learn what's important, what's not in terms of the culture of the company, the people that work within it, why we care about the brand so much, why we love motorcycling so much, and why motorcycling matters so much. And I think being constrained inside our homes and for a moment suddenly being immobile has all given us a desire to get out and become mobile once again and maybe break free from the digital interfaces that we all use every day and go experience real things out there in the world. And man, there's just no way there's, there, I can't think of a better way to experience really living and, and real experience than behind the handlebars of a Harley Davidson. So I think, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for the company on the other side of this. And I think it's really important for us all to think about that and poise the company, whether it's a dealership or you know employee or somebody in a manufacturing facility, but just thinking about how we need to make sure that we're poised to take advantage of that on the other side of this, which we will get to the other side of this. I think that, again, we get stuck into our own perceptions of what something should be and what something shouldn't be. Most recently with Harley-Davidson, we think about the, you know, the incredibly successful years, early 90s through probably 2006 or 7, um, where a certain style of motorcycle was the absolute right product for the moment. And that's the stuff that worked, and that's the stuff that that really accelerated the performance and the success of the company. But we're in a new moment now. And, um, you know, so we, we, we need to think about the brand differently. And again, I go back to the narrative of the past where we have explored all of these things. I think if you stick to this, if you stick to the right design tenants, which we do look sound and feel, and it's basically, that's talking about the DNA of a characterful experience. We are the motor company, so you celebrate the powertrain. You celebrate the mechanicalness of, the, of a Harley-Davidson. You don't cover it up. You expose it. And it's something about being honest and transparent and not... There's something, you know, that's, I think, cognitively um, happening with what... When someone looks at one of our bikes and we, and we approach it in such an honest, authentic way, what it says about not just the company, but the people within the company and what the company stands for. That's absolutely true in my mind. And so I think that if you, if you think about any product through that filter, um, there are a lot of places we can take the brand. And I think we're just beginning to show folks where we're, you know, what, what, what we're capable of doing. <laughs>